Thank you, Chris. Well, good morning. My name is Brandon Stern. I'm one of the pastors here and a member of our preaching team. And a couple of weeks ago, we started a series through the books of First and Second Samuel. And today, we'll be looking at First Samuel 2, verses 12 through 36. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles there. First Samuel 2, 12 through 36. Well, in one of the famous scenes from Spider-Man, Peter Parker is having a conversation with his Uncle Ben, and Uncle Ben says to him, remember, with great power comes great responsibility. And Uncle Ben is right. Those with great power have a responsibility to exercise that power for the good of others. And this is what all of our favorite superheroes do, right? They use their incredible power for the good of others, for the protection of mankind. It's the villains who use their power for evil. It's the bad guys who think might makes right, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to get their way, their selfish agenda done. And we hate them for that. This is because there is something in all of us that recognizes the injustice of this. We hate abuses of power. We get upset when we hear stories of yet another crooked politician who uses his power and position to steamroll over others and get what he wants. But it's even more heartbreaking. It's even more sickening when we hear of abuse taking place in God's church. Pastors should care for their people, not abuse them. And yet far too often, wicked and evil pastors are abusing and hurting God's people. This is evil, and it leaves Christians feeling hurt and disillusioned and crying out, why? Why do the wicked seem to prosper? Where is God in all of this? Does God care? Will God ever do anything about it? Well, unfortunately, gross abuses of power are nothing new. In our passage this morning, we are going to learn of some religious leaders who are wicked and evil men and who use their positions of power and privilege to abuse and hurt God's people. However, we are also going to learn what God thinks about that and how he responds to those who hurt his people. So I've entitled this message, Serious Sin in Shiloh and What God is Going to Do About It. And this title will serve as an outline for our sermon. So first, we're gonna look at the serious sin taking place in Shiloh, which is the religious center of Israel at this time. And next, we'll look at God's response to all the wickedness, all the sin, all the dysfunction taking place there. And through it all, we will see a God of justice and mercy who is relentlessly committed to his people's good. So let's pray and ask for God's help as we study this passage of scripture. Father, as we look to your word now, we ask for your spirit's help. Enable us to have humble hearts that are ready to hear what you have for us this morning. Give me grace as I preach, and may all that I say be faithful to your word and helpful 
for your people. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's look at the serious sin in Shiloh. Look with me at 1 Samuel 2, beginning in verse 12. We read, Eli's sons were wicked men. They did not respect the Lord. Now, this is a shocking statement because as we saw last week in 1 Samuel 1.3, Eli and his sons Hophni and Phinehas were priests of God in Shiloh. As priests, Hophni and Phinehas were supposed to be representing God to the people and the people to God. They were supposed to know God's law and be faithful to observe all that he commanded. They were to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people to atone for the people's sins and to pray for the people. They were supposed to deal gently with the people, knowing full well their own weaknesses and sins and need for God's grace. This was how God intended his priesthood to function. The priests were to honor God through faithfully representing him to the people. And yet here, in the religious center of Israel, there are priests who are wicked and who do not respect the Lord. This is a sobering statement about the moral corruption in Israel at this time. The book of Judges has ended with this grim assessment of God's people. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what seemed right to him. It was a time of moral chaos and confusion. And what we are learning now in 1 Samuel 2 is that this moral chaos and confusion and corruption extended even to the priesthood. Even the priests of God do not care about God and his ways. They are only interested in doing what they want. This is truly a dark time in the nation of Israel. So let's zoom in and see the serious sin that is taking place in Shiloh. <clears throat> Look with me at verses 12 through 14. Eli's sons were wicked men. They did not respect the Lord or the priest's share of the sacrifices from the people. When anyone offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged meat fork while the meat was boiling and plunge it into the container, kettle, cauldron, or cooking pot. The priest would claim for himself whatever the meat fork brought up. This is the way they treated all the Israelites who came there to Shiloh. So what the narrator is describing here is a gross abuse of power and privilege. As priests, God had allowed them to eat certain parts of the sacrifices being offered, but they were not given free reign to eat whatever they wanted. So in going around with their big old forks and just stabbing into any container, kettle, cauldron, or cooking pot they could find, they were demonstrating a complete disregard for God. They were placing themselves above God's law and acting like the sacrifices belonged to them and they could do with them whatever they wanted. But that's not all. The narrator really wants us to see just how wicked and abusive Eli's sons are. Let's keep reading verses 15 through 16. Even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the one who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast because he won't accept boiled meat from you, only raw. If the person said to him, no, no, the fat must be burned first, then you can take whatever you want for yourself. The servant would reply, no, I insist that you hand it over right now. If you don't, 
I'll take it by force. Even the common Israelite at this time knew that the fat belonged to God and was to be burned first. However, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of God, had long since stopped caring about God and his law. All they cared about was themselves and getting what they wanted. And so they used their power to coerce the people into giving them what they wanted. Now, as a worshiper of Shiloh, this must have been shocking and disturbing to experience. The animal that you had carefully selected to sacrifice to the Lord is now being stolen by God's priests. It's no longer feeling like you're offering a sacrifice to God. Now it feels like you're just feeding a greedy, self-centered, gluttonous priest. Instead of feeling like you've worshiped God, you leave Shiloh feeling abused and mistreated. This was not how God intended his priests to act. They were blaspheming God through their blatant disregard for his law. And so look at the narrator's assessment of them in verse 17. So the servant's sin was very severe in the presence of the Lord because the men treated the Lord's offering with contempt. God does not take their sin lightly. What Hophni and Phinehas were doing was horrific in God's eyes. Their actions revealed that they thought very, very little about God. For them, God was very small and insignificant. He really didn't matter much to them at all. He had just become their business, what they used to get what they wanted from his people. The holy reverence and fear and love that should have characterized their relationship with God has been replaced by flippancy and indifference. They held the offering of God with contempt. Hophni and Phinehas didn't care about God, and they certainly didn't respect God. Well, before we move on to the next section, I want to think about the interplay between our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with others, because the two go hand in hand. Because, because Hophni and Phinehas didn't respect the Lord, this is what led them to not respect God's people. When they no longer cared what God thought, they were free to act however they wanted toward those who came to worship God at Shiloh. So the result of their complete disregard for God is what led them to be the abusive, selfish, greedy priests that they were. They sinned against God's people because they had first sinned against God. If Hophni and Phinehas had respected the Lord and his sacrifices, they would not have abused God's people. There's a reason Jesus says the greatest commandment is love God and love others. The only way to faithfully love your neighbor is if you are first loving God. If your vertical relationship with God breaks down, your horizontal relationships with others are sure to follow. And this is because someone or something must rule our hearts. Either we will be ruled by God and what he wants, or we will be ruled by ourselves and what we want. Hophni and Phinehas chose to be ruled by what they wanted, and this led to the corruption and chaos at Shiloh. They abused others because they held God in contempt.
But I also want to point out another truth from this passage. I'm sure that in a room this size, there are some of you who have been abused by church leaders. You can sympathize with the worshipers at Shiloh because you too have suffered under wicked religious leaders. You know the hurt, the pain, and the confusion that comes from gross abuses of power and position. And if that's you this morning, I want you to know that God sees you and God is angry at what has happened to you. It is wrong for God's leaders to abuse God's people. And God takes their sin very, very seriously. Verse 17 says, the servant's sin was very severe in the presence of God. God does not take lightly the abuses done in his name. He sees it all, and as the rest of this story will show, he will judge those who despise him and abuse his people. Well, let's skip down to verse 22 and learn more about the serious sin taking place in Shiloh. Verse 22, now Eli was very old. He heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they were sleeping with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Stop there. Apparently, it wasn't just meat that Hophni and Phinehas were hungry for, but women as well. In complete and utter disregard for God, they were using their power and position to indulge their lustful passions. These boys have no self-control, but freely are taking whatever they wanted from those around them, whether it was food or sex. And their actions are not limited to a few brief lapses of judgment. No, this is what characterized their ministry. The place of worship had become a place of abuse and immorality, and all of Israel knew it. But sadly, it seems like the last person to realize this was old Eli. Even though he was supposed to be in charge of what took place at Shiloh, he seems to be unable or unwilling to really do anything about it. The best he can muster up is a question and a warning to his sons. Look at verses 23 through 24. Eli said to them, why are you doing these things? I have heard about your evil actions from all these people. No, my son, the news I hear the Lord's people spreading is not good. The Lord's people are talking. They're hurting. They're struggling. They are being abused and mistreated, but nothing seems to change. No one seems to be listening. Hophni and Phinehas have all the power, so even though their wickedness is known to all, no one is able to stop them. They appear untouchable, invincible, able to do whatever they want without risk or consequence. And though it seems lost on the boys, old Eli correctly realizes the seriousness of their sin. They are sinning against the Lord. Look at what he says to his sons in verse 25. If a person sins against another, God can intercede for him. But if a person sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? 
Eli knows that they are sinning against the Lord, and yet he is still unwilling to stop them. The best he can do is warn them. And so he asked this haunting question, if a person sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? You see, Eli, for all his faults, he correctly realizes this, that to despise the Lord and the Lord's sacrifice is to despise the only means for forgiveness. In their blatant disregard for God, they have rejected, turned away from the only way they can be saved. But then the narrator says something very, very interesting. Look at the end of verse 25. But Hophni and Phinehas would not listen to their father since the Lord intended to kill them. The narrator doesn't say they would not listen to their father and so the Lord intended to kill them. He says, they would not listen to their father since or because the Lord intended to kill them. Their refusal to heed Eli's warning is actually the result of God's judgment, not the reason for his judgment. God was confirming them in their rebellion and sin. They had despised and rejected God for so long that the opportunity for repentance had come and gone. For all of these years, they had literally touched and handled the very means of repentance God had provided for them. They had shed the blood of countless animals for the forgiveness of sins, and yet they had become numb to their need for blood-bought forgiveness. Instead of cherishing these means of mercy, they despised God and treated his sacrifices with contempt. They spurned the very grace of God for their sin, thus making repentance impossible for them. And now it was too late. God intended to kill them. Now this is a serious warning for those of you who are holding on to your sin and stubbornly unwilling to turn from it. Now this warning is not for those of you with sensitive consciences who are trusting in Christ and yet deeply aware of your ongoing sin. I'm not talking to you right now. I am talking to the person who knows that how they are living is wrong, but they do not care. If that is you this morning, if you have no interest in submitting your life to Jesus Christ, I want to warn you of the dangerous position you are in. The Bible teaches that it is possible to reject, to spurn God's call to repent so many times that it eventually becomes impossible for you to repent. At some point, God will say, okay, have it your way. Romans 1.28 describes God's wrath towards sinners this way. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, to love God, to worship God, what does God do? God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. Sometimes God's punishment for sin is delivering you over 
to your sin. If you want to live a life that despises God and treats his sacrifice for sin with contempt, you can. But please be warned. God may just give you what you want and repentance will become impossible for you. Hophni and Phinehas had come to that point. God's intention now was to kill them. Don't let this be your story. Heed God's call to turn from your sin and to trust in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Jesus is the only way your sins can be forgiven and you can have a right relationship with God. So please don't treat Jesus with contempt. Don't reject the only way you can be saved. Trust in Jesus. Treasure Jesus. Love Jesus. Give your life to Jesus and find in Jesus full forgiveness for all of your sins. Well, what we have seen so far is that the priesthood is wicked to the core. Hophni and Phinehas are evil, abusive men who despise the Lord and his people, and Eli seems too weak and unwilling to do anything about it. The sin at Shiloh is serious. So let's see what God is going to do about it. Look at verses 27 through 28. A man of God came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says, didn't I reveal myself to your forefather's family when they were in Egypt and belonged to Pharaoh's palace? Out of all the tribes of Israel, I chose your house to be my priests, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your forefather's family all the Israelite food offerings. So God begins by pointing out how gracious how generous he has been to Eli and his family. The first thing he had done for them was to reveal himself to his forefather's family all that long time ago in Egypt. Instead of leaving them in their slavery and misery, God had come near. He had revealed himself to them. This was a remarkable act of grace. And secondly, out of all 12 tribes of Israel, God had chosen Eli's house to serve as his priests. Exodus 28.1 says that God chose Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. Ithamar is Eli's forefather. He chose them to serve as his priests for his people. And as priests, they had the unique honor and privilege of offering sacrifices on God's altar, of burning incense, of wearing the priestly garments. This was an extraordinary privilege and responsibility that God had graciously chosen them for. And third, God says he gave them all the Israelite food offerings. Though there were, of course, some restrictions regarding what the priests could or could not eat, God had been abundantly generous. His priests were well taken care of from all the food offerings of the people. And so this is the incredibly gracious and generous way God has treated Eli and his family. However, instead of being grateful for God's grace, what have Eli and his family done? They have spurned God's grace. Listen to this chilling indictment God gives in verse 29. 
Why then, Eli? Why, in light of all the grace I've given you, why do all of you despise my sacrifices and offerings that I require at the place of worship? Eli, you have honored your sons more than me by making yourselves fat with the best part of all the offerings of my people, Israel. It is here where we see Eli's complicity in all the sin taking place at Shiloh. It wasn't that he just was unable to stop his sons. He was unwilling. So God cuts through whatever excuses Eli may have made and says clearly, Eli, you have honored your sons more than me. This was Eli's problem. He cared more about his sons than he cared about his God. He was more concerned about what his sons wanted than what God wanted. He was more interested in making his sons happy than in pleasing his God. Eli honored his sons more than God. And not only that, he enjoyed the spoils of their abuse. God says, you have made yourselves fat with the best part of all the offerings of my people Israel. Eli was unwilling to rock the boat because he cared too much about his sons and he enjoyed his delicious food too much. And so God rightly says, all of you despise my sacrifices and offerings. Because of his passivity, Eli is just as much to blame for the seriousness of the sin taking place at Shiloh. Eli was a coward who refused to stand up to his sons. Now, of course, since his sons are grown men, he couldn't actually stop them from doing the wicked things that, he could, that they wanted to do. But hear me on this. He could certainly have made sure they didn't do it as priests of God. He should have honored God by stripping them of their priestly duties and refusing to allow them to abuse God's people under the name of God's priests. And yet he didn't. He was passive and pathetic, and God judges him for that. I think God's statement to Eli is a good one for all of us to ponder. Where have you honored someone more than God? Where are you caring too much about what a fellow human thinks and not enough about what God thinks? When you see something unethical happening at work, do you turn a blind eye to it? When the conversation with your friends moves in an unhealthy direction, do you just go along with it? When your boyfriend or girlfriend pressures you to lower your standard, who matters more to you? God or your boyfriend or girlfriend? Where in your life are you making compromises because you don't want to risk offending someone? Dear Christian, God has not called you to make sure everyone in your life likes you and thinks you're cool. 
God has called you to honor him above everyone and everything. At times, this will make you at odds with those around you who do not want to honor God. And at those moments, you must choose by God's grace to honor God and not give in to the pressure to be liked and accepted by others. Don't make the mistake of passive, pathetic Eli and honor people more than you honor your God. Well, after explaining how gracious he has been to Eli and his family, and yet how sinfully they have treated him, God now pronounces his judgment on them. Listen to these sobering words in verses 30 through 34. Therefore, this is the declaration of the Lord, the God of Israel. I did say that your family and your forefather's family would walk before me forever, but now this is the Lord's declaration. No longer. For those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disgraced. Look, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your forefather's family so that none in your family will reach old age. You will see distress in the place of worship in spite of all the good that is in Israel, and no one in your family will ever again reach old age. Any man from your family I do not cut off from my altar will bring grief and sadness to you. All your descendants will die violently. This will be the sign that will come to you concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Both of them will die on the same day. Wow. This is a crushing pronouncement of judgment against Eli and his family. Because of their sin, their family line will be decimated. Though God's promise to Aaron and his sons that they would walk before him forever would continue, it will not continue through Ithamar and Eli's line, but through Eleazar's. Throughout the rest of 1st and 2nd Samuel, we see God's judgment fall on the house of Eli. And by the time Solomon becomes king in 1st Kings 2, Eli's family is all but destroyed. There is only one remaining priest from Eli's line named Abiathar. Listen to what 1st Kings 2:27 says about him. So Solomon banished Abiathar from being the Lord's priest, and it fulfilled the Lord's prophecy he had spoken at Shiloh against Eli's family. God has done everything he had promised he would do to Eli's family. This is because God will not be mocked. For those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disgraced. So don't be fooled. Just because God's judgment doesn't always come immediately does not mean that it will not come. God will eventually judge every wicked deed. In his perfect timing, he will justly punish all those who have despised him. Nothing has gone unnoticed by him, and there will be no escaping his judgment. Everyone 
must stand before him and give an account for their life. Eli and his family provide a warning for us all. They had despised the Lord and the Lord's sacrifice, and so the Lord promised to destroy them. And the sign for Eli that this crushing judgment would come would be that that both of his wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas, would die on the same day. And we're gonna see that in two weeks when we look at chapter four. So this is what God was going to do about the serious sin in Shiloh. He was going to bring crushing judgment on those who had despised him. But even in this judgment, we see the love of God for his precious people. You see, Hophni and Phinehas were abusing. They were hurting God's people. They were corrupting the worship of God. Through their wickedness and sin, they were threatening to destroy God's people. And so in steadfast love and faithfulness to his people, God promises to destroy them. This is just like what God says about those who would hurt his church today. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17, we read this sobering warning from God. Don't you yourselves know that you all are God's temple and that the spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, the church, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and that is what you are. Dear Christian, God cares deeply for you and he will destroy anyone who hurts his church. To mess with God's people is to mess with God and God will take you out. God hates all forms of abuse and he will destroy those who hurt his people. This is because our God is a passionate defender of the weak and helpless. He is a passionate defender of his church and he will protect her from those who attack her, whether from without or from within. The Hophnes and Phineases within his church will one day be destroyed and never again allowed to hurt God's people. This is the mercy and grace of God at work in his people. However, we do not just see God's grace and mercy in his judgment of wicked leaders, but also in his provision of godly leaders. So let's look back over our story and see what could have easily been missed by anyone going to Shiloh year after year. Look back at our text, 1 Samuel 2, verse 11. Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy Samuel served the Lord in the presence of the priest Eli. So whereas Hophni and Phinehas were serving themselves, there's a little boy in the background who is serving the Lord. Skip down to verses 18 through 21. Samuel served the Lord. It served in the Lord's presence. This mere boy was dressed in the linen ephod. Each year, his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife. May the Lord give you children by this woman in place of the one she has given to the Lord. Then they would go home. The Lord paid attention to Hannah's need, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. In the midst of all the sin, all the chaos, all the corruption going on in Shiloh, God was at work. 
Just like we sing in the song Waymaker, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. No, you never stop working. Even when no one could see it, God never stopped working for his people. In the little boy Samuel, he was slowly but surely raising up a godly leader for his people. And look at verse 26. By contrast to Hophni and Phinehas, the boy Samuel grew in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. So despite what it may have looked like, God had not forsaken his people. Under the very noses of the wicked priests, Hophni and Phinehas, God was raising up a young man who would honor him and faithfully serve his people. That's because God never stops. He never stops working. And then look with me at verses 35 through 36. Though I don't think this is talking about Samuel, since Samuel's going to function more as a prophet than a priest, God still does promise to raise up a faithful priest to replace Eli and his family. God says, verse 35, then I, I'm gonna solve this. I will raise up a faithful priest for myself and this faithful priest will do whatever is in my heart and mind. As God's people, don't we want a priest like that? God says, I will establish a lasting dynasty for him and he will walk before my anointed one for all time. Anyone who is left in your family, Eli, will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread. He will say, please appoint me to some priestly office so I can have a piece of bread to eat. Now, I love what Dale Ralph Davis writes about this. Look at this. He says, Yahweh's kingdom and people may suffer from arrogant, immoral, unrepentant priests, but Yahweh... He will have a faithful priest. He insists on it. Yahweh has a sort of saving stubbornness that will not turn aside from profiting his people. Isn't that good? God has a saving stubbornness about him. He will provide his people with a faithful priest who will do all that is in his heart and mind. And of course, we know this ultimately gets fulfilled in God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of God is able to perfectly represent us to God and God to us because some 2,000 years ago, he actually became one of us. The eternal Son of God added humanity to his deity and became the perfect mediator between God and man. And then he willingly sacrificed himself to pay for his people's sins. Instead of taking from his people, Jesus gave himself for his people. Jesus truly is our merciful and faithful high priest. And he warmly welcomes any to come to him and find in him full forgiveness for all of their sins. So in conclusion, we have seen this morning that there was serious sin taking place in Shiloh. God's priests were wicked men who despised God and abused God's people. And we have seen what God was going to do about it. He was going to bring a crushing judgment on Eli and his family, and yet he also graciously promised 
to raise up faithful leaders for himself. And as we'll see next week, God is going to reveal himself to Samuel and raise up this little boy to be a faithful prophet for him who will bring the blessing of God's word to God's people. So even when you can't see it, know, know that he's working. Even when you can't feel it, trust that God is working. He never stops. He never stops working. Our God has a saving stubbornness about him, and that saving stubbornness caused him to send his very own son into the world to be the ultimate prophet, the ultimate king, and the ultimate priest that we, his people, needed. Jesus is God's answer to the serious problem of our sin. Let's pray.